Well, hey, everyone, this is Lisa Anderson, and I know that top of mind for you right now is what am I going to get boundless for Christmas? Okay, be thinking about that because I know that we are on your Christmas list. Um, Okay, but here's an idea for you. As we finish out this year, we would love if you would consider giving a gift to Boundless. And the good news is we have a very generous donor who has agreed to match every gift that is given to us. And so you have the opportunity to go to boundless.org. Just click on the donate button right there. You'll have an opportunity to give and that gift will be matched as part of our year end campaign. So you know you love Boundless. You know that we're part of your life. You know that we will be next year. And so go to boundless.org, click on donate, give a gift, and it is uh, very much your way of saying Merry Christmas to us, and we have the opportunity to serve you in the new year. Thanks, everyone, in advance. Well, hey, everyone. Welcome to this week's episode of The Boundless Show, which is the last show in 2022. So glad you are hanging with us. Many of you are probably on Christmas break or have taken some time off. So enjoy it while you can before the new year. Of course, we will see you around then. But later on in this show for our inbox, we have a listener who's asking, how can she stop thinking of every handsome dude as possible marriage material? So this is a tricky question. And we're going to have one of our counselors chime in with some ideas. And then for our culture segment, our very own show engineer, Alex Seeley has been married since May, and he and his wife, Megan, are going to join us to discuss some common misconceptions that Christians have while they're dating and heading into marriage. So I think you will appreciate their fresh perspective. Well, here we are for our roundtable. And as I said, because it's the final show of the year, it's the final roundtable of this year. And so we thought we'd go out with a bang talking about first date etiquette. Many of you have already created your goal lists, maybe for 2023. Maybe that's just me. But um, I think this is going to be a fun conversation because maybe you're saying, hey, now in the new year, maybe I want to push the envelope a little bit, maybe ask some people out, step out of my comfort zone, maybe be willing to go out with more people, um, expand my friend group, see what this looks like. And so you need to know how to navigate this. And so we have got Jesse Emerson in Georgia here. Hey, everyone. Hey. Hey. Hello, hello. Okay, well, we're going to help people because all of you are so fabulous at dating, um, especially first dates, right? You guys yeah, are- <laughs> the very best. You sure. are amazing. And so let's talk generally first. I want to hear what do you guys think from what you've seen or maybe experienced are some of the most common mistakes that are made on first dates, whether it's preparing for a first date actually executing, actually like showing up? What does it look like? What would you say are some of the pitfalls? For sure. I think not showing up with a plan. um, That's a big one. Mm -hmm. I also think a big one is not saying anything or not asking any (laughs) questions and vice versa. That that's also a big pitfall. And then finally, I'm sorry, but dudes, if you don't pay, I maybe it's old fashioned, but I don't care. (laughs) I don't care. Mm hmm. Well, just the, I feel like just the ambiguity around pain is so weird. Like, I'm not going to argue, though I do, you can see where I've written about it elsewhere, including in my book, but um, I I feel like guys really have an opportunity to step up and show up by being willing to pay. Yeah. But okay, women, if you want to ask a guy out and pay for it, totally fine. I don't see in scripture where it says, don't do that. If you have seen that, please show me with reference. Um, But... (laughs) Here's the deal. I just feel like the whole weirdness and ambiguity around pain is a big, it's just a killer. Because when the check shows up and everyone's like, oh, what do I do? Awkward. All right. Good thoughts, Georgia. What about you, Emerson? Uh, Yeah, I I think I would condense almost all of the pitfalls that I've experienced into two categories. One is you don't take it seriously enough. And another is you take it too seriously. Okay. Um, so I think, especially with first dates, uh, we have a tendency to fall into one of those two categories. Mm-hmm. Uh, one, we take it too seriously. Like I have to know if I want to marry you right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you start asking really, really in-depth questions. It's just very targeted and pointed, mm-hmm. um, almost like an interview, which is, yeah. <laughs> I think, a very bad thing to do. Yeah. And then there's the other end where you don't take it seriously enough mm-hmm. and you treat it like... Uh, kind of just this very lax thing. I mean, I know guys that 
hesitate to even call something like this a date. Like this is just our first hangout. And Mm -hmm. that leads to, uh, that can lead to hurt down the line. And I think that lack of intentionality um, can also just make hearts vulnerable. Um, I've, I've experienced that where like I was hesitant to call it a date even on the first time. And it left her wondering, where are we? Mm-hmm. What is the goal of this? What, what are you going for? Kind of like what Georgia said, I didn't really have a plan. This is just kind of a, an amorphous hangout friends thing. And maybe we'll date later, but it, uh, I, I wasn't taking it seriously enough. Mm-hmm. And so uh, I think most of the pitfalls of those first dates can fall into yeah, those two categories. Yeah. Yeah. I think you have to have a pretty strong personality and be kind of showing up on a date really with a lot of guts to be able to go after it with super hard hitting questions. Now, if my friend Christine is listening, you know, if you've listened to the show for a long time, she did a roundtable with us where she talked about usually on a first or second date, she would straight up ask the guy if he was viewing porn. I mean, she would just be like, let me put it out there. But she had been through some really rough relationships. She had been married before and had been married to a guy who um, who was in that situation and more and stuff. But and her, she asked it of her now husband, who was very taken aback, but took it well. And they had a conversation <laughs> around it. And she doesn't mess around. All right, Jesse, what would you say? Not only not showing up with a plan, but expecting the other person to have a plan. I mm-hmm. think that's just a thing you should not do. Um, Cause most of the times, you know, the guy might not have a plan, but then the girl expects him to. And then it's just all weird because nobody's fulfilling each other's expectations. Mm-hmm. And then, but no one talked about it before the actual outing. So mm-hmm. I think, I think it's one thing if you ask the person out, you know, that's great, especially if she says yes, but you might want a little bit of clarity, a little more detail before you actually show up pick her up and yeah. take her out. Now, to that point, let's talk for a minute here about what to do on a first date, because I think that can kind of help sometimes, too, because a lot of people, when they either don't have a plan or they kind of came up with a last minute plan, sometimes you end up doing stuff that's either kind of lame or else it ends up being <laughs> awkward. Like yeah. it's either yeah. not a good opportunity for conversation or it's just too much. Like we're going to literally be staring into each other's eyes and having to come up with stuff for the next couple of hours. Mm-hmm. So what would you say is a good balance? What have been some of your most successful first dates as far as what you did? Yeah. Do something <laughs> other than just sitting and talking and staring at each other. Okay. Like you said, yeah. uh, do something active where your focus isn't entirely on the other person. So, mm-hmm. uh, this might sound cheesy, but like putt putt or a mm-hmm. hike or bowling, like mm-hmm. activities where you can, you can focus on the game, but also you can talk to the other person in between. Uh, mm-hmm. it helps eliminate that awkward, silence in between conversations or if there is a lull it's like oh well actually we Mm -hmm. have this game that we're focusing on or Mm -hmm. look at this nature aspect or something like that right Mm -hmm. uh don't make it too difficult so uh don't do the manitou incline (laughs) (laughs) you know where that becomes the entire focus but yeah yeah. helpful that's a super intense hike here in colorado by (laughs) the way yeah Uh yeah the putt-putt or bowling sounds great to me (laughs) you know it's just um something that you both can do And from my experience, you can have fun and get a little competitive with it, you know. Mm -hmm. And so with that, you don't really have to get to that part where it's kind of awkward because you don't know what to say next. Because the thing you're going to be saying is, I'm going to beat you, you know, or something (laughs) like that. Or let me teach you how to do this, you know, that type of thing. So, Mm -hmm. Well, I think that's interesting coming from guys because I feel like guys have a hard time even hanging out and talking with other guys, let alone a girl that they're interested in. So the whole idea of having an activity is probably a good one because then it gives you something to be about. Though it is interesting because I think we all tend to be much more, we think we're going to be a lot more chill on first dates than we end up being. Because I can remember like going on first dates, and especially if you're really into the other person, you're just constantly, and I don't know, Georgia, you can back me up here. Maybe it's just women, but I just am always like second guessing, like, am I saying something witty enough or do I have yeah. enough questions? Am I interesting? Am I, it's like you're at a job interview and it's just exhausting. Yeah, it does feel that way. And I, I mean, I'm exactly <laughs> the same where I'm like, oh gosh, was that funny enough? Like I want him to think I'm funny. <laughs> um, and I, yeah, I just to say the same as the guys, I think having something to do an activity, I just kind of think it eliminates any awkward pauses because you can always turn to the activity 
Um, and it also kind of incites conversation because if you're confused about whatever's happening or if you're like, man, this hike's a little hard, like you can be funny. There's things to like talk about. I will say, <laughs> I know we talked about what's successful. I will say, and you can argue, maybe don't do a movie on the first date because I think that takes away any ability for you to talk to them. Mm-hmm. And then you can get to the end of the movie and you're just kind of like, uh, yeah. especially if the movie wasn't great. I've had some first dates <laughs> where the movie was kind of not the best, and then I just want to go home. Yeah. <laughs> and I don't want to do anything else after that. Yeah. Unless you do. I mean, if you do, like, dinner before or after, so you've yeah. built in time to yeah. have conversation, mm-hmm. then I think that's, that's a little fine. different. But, yeah, just don't don't just say, hey, let's go to a movie, and then you're at the end of the movie, and that's it. It just kind of, like, I just sat next to you in silence for the last two hours. That's weird. Yeah. Now, that said, this is very interesting because we tend to think of a first date as being, and we even call it this, like going out to coffee, which would be like looking the other person in the eye and having a conversation. So clearly people are okay with that. But I wonder if that is because you kind of can have an out. It's not like you're committing to four hours with that. Maybe it can be like, hey, let's get coffee and 22 minutes in let's maybe be done. Mm-hmm. So I don't know, maybe there's a little more flexibility there. Yes, that's very smart, especially so in the guy's camp. And I found this quite helpful. If you are going to do one of those coffee dates, first date, just hang out, talk for 20 minutes type deal, have a backup plan if it goes really well. Mm-hmm. So if that coffee conversation, that initial 10 minutes, 15 minutes, whatever it is, goes really well, have a plan to go from there to go on a walk or something nearby or uh, or to that backup bowling thing or putt-putt thing, right? In case it does go really well and mm-hmm. you want to keep talking to this person. Mm-hmm. Um, make sure the activities supplement the conversation yeah. and the getting to know the other person. Yeah. I'm a big fan of like service type activities. Maybe yeah. that's a second date or third date type deal, but mm-hmm. going to your soup kitchen and and serving there, serving with that person, it's like your focus is on serving the people in front of you, but you can also talk while you're doing it. And mm-hmm. it's it's a mutually uplifting experience. Yeah, that's good. I would also say just on the thought around a first date and timing of a first date, I would also, even if it is going well, I would not let it go on and on. Mm-hmm. Like the, you know, kind of standard wisdom is, you know, no one is really interesting beyond three hours i mean it's like (laughs) i mean we tend to think we are especially when you're not really getting to know a person i mean at that Mm -hmm. point you better be super interesting or you better be you know it's kind of like leave something for the next date Mm -hmm. don't feel like hi now we're gonna go and do on our day-long smorgasbord of 12 activities here's where we go next and Mm -hmm. here's your itinerary it's just that can be a little overwhelming and a little too maybe intimidating on that front and also, if it's not going as planned, you can tell you don't want a second date, but the person's not terrible. Um, after the end of the, the 22 minutes or however you said it, have a nice uh, exit sentence or something. Not, mm-hmm. Don't just get up and leave. That's just rude. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> don't have a friend call you and uh, oh, fake geez. a conversation. Yeah. 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 Just a last thought. I will say I do think with like the coffee thing, just to kind of go back, I do think there's this kind of stigma right about now where like guys will often say do you want coffee as a it's not a date it's a hangout Mm -hmm. and so i just Mm -hmm. think just be super clear about like what it is Mm -hmm. um because coffee can be a great first date that's not a bad first date Mm -hmm. but just be clear because i've noticed a lot in like just kind of christian culture guys when they want to dip the toe in but they don't want to like fully commit to taking you to a date and buying you a five (laughs) dollar latte they'll just say hey let's let's do a coffee hang we'll do a coffee hang so i just think just be clear so that the girl is never like in confusion because i feel like a coffee date can mean everything or it can mean nothing yeah well and that's why you clarify by saying can i take you out for coffee or can i and then when you get the coffee you show up and you are just like paying before your coffee is even there okay i mean this is where again i have been on dates first dates where like i said you're doing dinner and the check shows up and it's just there and i'm like should i reach for my purse he's not i'm like guys you can win. Slap your hand on the table, grab the check, and just, I mean, you'll you'll win over about 80% of guys if you just do that. So, all right, I want to talk a little bit about conversation on a first date, because mm-hmm. this is where I feel people can really 
lose it. <laughs> lose their game, lose their minds, lose their date. Okay, so wow. here has been my experience because I am, okay, and I'm going to tell on myself because I'm the opposite of the problem that I'm going to describe in a guy I dated. Um, my problem is because I don't know if you all know, but I host a podcast. Um, (laughs) my thing is I get into, uh, you know, whatever journalist, you know, pick your journalist du jour of just grilling people with questions. Cause I'm like, you know what? Okay. What about this? What about this? What about, you know, and then, and (laughs) I had a friend actually had to tell me one time, Lisa, Maybe like leave something for the second date. You don't have to like yeah. ask everything about this person because I'm just very curious and I love hearing about people and clearly don't have a problem talking. So anyway, that's my problem. But I have gone out with and have had friends go out with and be very frustrated by guys who talk only about themselves. Mm-hmm. And maybe that is a nervous habit or maybe it is, but um, I'm going to be honest. I had a friend uh, go out with a guy who talked the entire date about the Puritans. Okay. Emerson. Okay. The Puritans <laughs> is an interesting topic, but maybe not for the entire date no. and not for this guy to just be going on. No, no, no. About- Did he just bring it up like, hey, I have fun facts about the Puritans. Jesse, he is very passionate about the Puritans. Okay. okay so maybe he had just been reading a book by, the, by a Puritan or whatever, but... Bless his heart, but that was rough. So what about what would be your best ideas for making sure that conversation flows freely, that it is successful, that someone doesn't just completely flatline while you're talking and or (laughs) ask badgering them with questions, a.k.a. me? Yeah, I think I would agree. I've noticed a lot of times on dates, guys will just talk about themselves. And I don't know if it's just like those guys or if it's just because they're nervous. But I will say that dudes... If you feel like you're going to talk about yourself, maybe just come with some questions prepared. Because, mm-hmm. um, yeah, that's the other thing. I've been on dates where the guys don't ask me any questions and I'm asking all the questions. Mm-hmm. So I think it's kind of a two-way street where girls, if you're one of those girls who, like, you love to ask questions, I think hold back, kind of hold them back until he kind of reciprocates as well. Because if you're asking and driving all these questions, of course, he's going to talk about himself. People love to talk about themselves. Mm -hmm. But if you leave room and space for him to have to ask you something, maybe he'll step up or you'll go on a second date and you realize, nope, he really just does talk about himself (laughs) all the time. And that does happen. And it has happened. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, Conversation is a two way street for sure. Um, So pay attention to how much you're talking and how much the other person is talking. Uh, if you notice you are doing, you are pushing forth most of the conversation, that can be a clear sign that either the other person isn't interested in you, or maybe you need to take a moment to to pause and to listen to the other person. Um, same thing with the other other side, right? Uh, what kind of answers am I giving back to these questions? Like if, if the person is genuinely interested in you asking questions, and I've I've done this before, I'll ask the other person questions to try to start a conversation. I'm just getting yes or no answers or mm-hmm. one 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 single word answers and it's like yes no or i uh, don't really do that or something like that and it's it's not a conversation so just pay attention to how much you're talking how much the other person is talking and uh try to balance them so uh and, and listen be a good listener that yeah. that's why yeah. you're there in the first place so. i feel like that's a good um reminder to keep personality differences in mind too because yeah. as a person yeah. who is very verbal and can trend towards being an extrovert there are, you know, a lot of the, a lot of other people where maybe words aren't their strong suit, they have to sit and think about an answer for a little bit. But then us extroverts are like, oh my goodness, there's a pause that is more than half a second. I better just fill it. And so mm-hmm. all of a sudden you're talking again. Oh my goodness. So I don't know. How about you, Jesse? What do you think? It's funny because, um, yeah, like even right now, having a second or two to think about what I have to say can be difficult. And then on top of that, I'm like, oh, half a second has gone by. Let me try to uh, say something. And then nothing ends up making sense. So <laughs> <laughs> so most of the time I go to is to just ask the person what she's thinking. You know, I'll ask her a question first. I do realize that conversation is a two-way street. So eventually she's going to stop talking, hopefully, and ask you about yourself. So have something in your back pocket that you can bring out. But don't be afraid to listen to her because she's probably interesting, right? That's why you asked her out in the first place. 
Mm-hmm. What do you guys think about um, the difference between going out on a date with someone that you kind of know and has been in your acquaintance or in your friend circle versus just someone that you decided to ask out because you met them at church or you really don't know anything? I mean, how do you, would you treat those dates differently or what might that look like? 100%. I would I would say if you've known this person, you've been friends with them, it should look different because I think there's like some steps already made about I know this person. I probably know some stuff about their faith walk. I've seen how they serve in church. Like there's some like preliminary things that you're already aware of. So you can just dig a little deeper, I would say. And then if you've just met a person or they just met you and you're at a grocery store or something like that and there's a meet cute or whatever and they ask you out, I think that should look a little different because you're starting at the bottom. You're having to ask preliminary questions about their life, their work, that kind of thing. And you don't want to have their whole life story right then and there because that's a lot of depth that I think should be reached over time and not just in one meeting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, to add to that, I mean, you if you guys have been friends, you probably know what stuff you like to do. So that may mm-hmm. help decide the activity you guys do while you're mm-hmm. on a date. Mm-hmm. But there's also, and you're, you'll probably bring this up later, Georgia, an element of safety that mm-hmm. should come with oh, yeah. if you don't know the person at all. Mm-hmm. Um, just around like telling people that you're going on a date and stuff like that, that I think everyone should be conscious of. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you know the friend, I don't think it's unreasonable to go on like friend dates, if you will, like with other friends and stuff like that. But you're trying to get to know the person, you know them a little bit more, so that'll change your conversation, that'll change mm-hmm. uh, how you guys interact with one another. Like Georgia said, there's more depth there, for mm-hmm. sure. And that's, I think that's the way to go. If you can be friends first with this person, mm-hmm. that is 100% the way to go. Yeah. Well, and it's just to the whole safety point. I mean, it is a very good idea to, especially now where we're meeting people on apps or yeah. you know that kind yeah. of thing. Yep. You do need to make that date public and you need to keep it short and mm-hmm. keep it public and keep it and figure out. I mean, again, this is why you've got to get intel on people. You don't just take their word for stuff. You know, I mean, again, if you're part of a friend group and you've known each other a long time, that's different. But honestly, should anyone just be hanging out like one on one, super intense with someone? Really, it's probably yeah. not a good idea. I anyway, always so. tell, yeah. I think even no. dates, sorry to circle back on the safety thing really quick, but. Even if you're going on a date with a friend that you've known for a while, I still tell someone where we're going. Mm-hmm. I, yeah. I just, but that's just for me. Yeah. But then I also, if ladies, if you don't already know, please share your location with at least one or two people. Mm-hmm. If you're going on a date with someone that you met on Hinge or Bumble or that just asked you out on random, mm-hmm. I would definitely tell someone where you're going, what time you're going, and share your location. And I know that sounds like kind of extra, kind of helicopter mommy, but I think it's better to be safe than sorry, especially if you don't know this person very well. Yeah. Okay. Um, as we wrap here, I need to know, because this is, again, you could have had a great first date, and then it all goes south when you ask for that second date. What does that look like? What is a successful way to ask for and accept and or turn down a second date without making yourself just look like a complete freak. <laughs> well. <laughs> Emerson, yeah. you're, jump, yeah. you're jumping in quite quickly here. Uh, so I think to accept, you just say yes. <laughs> okay. So, hey, uh, as the guy, right, generally we're the ones who are going to say, I, I really had a great time. Uh, would you be down to do a second date would mm-hmm. you like to go do something else together and usually that can be formed while you guys are talking while i while i hear your interests and i hear what you're what you're about i can hear also i can i can align my interests with that and then mm-hmm. i can form this second date in my mind based off of how this date is going and then ask hey would you want to do that together mm-hmm. and then that can form our second date that's, that's good usually to make it specific do. like yeah hey uh, we should go and do a play sometime or a do you know musical since you're so into musicals exactly so. and kind exactly. of asking before the first date is up like not right when you're walking her up to the door and say, hey, would you want to do this again sometime? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. I feel like your eyes were kind of intense there, yeah. Jesse, so that <laughs> could sorry. add to that. That, that was a little bit. That's yeah. true. Okay, yeah. Yeah, I, I think it is nice when guys ask in person, too, because if I'm being honest, I don't think I've been asked a single time in person. I think they've always asked like an hour later over text. 
And it's not bad, but it's just kind of like, it would be nice if I left the date knowing where you're at and not having to go home and be super (laughs) nervous because I had a good time. Did he have a good time? Well, clearly not because he didn't ask me on a date again. Mm -hmm. So I think just make it clear. And that, even if it's like, I don't want to go on a second date, it's just nice to say it in person and be like, hey, I had a great time. Honestly, I don't want to pursue this. Or, hey, I had a great time. Let's do this again. Yeah. Great thoughts, you guys. Thank you so much. This is a good intel, I think, for everyone to have. Thank you. Yeah, thanks for having us. Here we are for this week's culture segment, and many of you know who have been longtime listeners that often for a culture, we put someone on who has written a book, or maybe they pastor a church, or maybe they're a theologian, or they're an artist, or other newsmaker. But this week, we're not that they're not super important, but we thought we would put on uh, for our culture segment a couple friends of mine from right here in the area. Um, in fact, they are so awesomely um, full of expertise in what we're going to talk about today. They have been wow. married a full, um, what are we looking at? Like seven months. Seven months. Yeah. Okay, I was going to say like, yeah, six and a half, seven. <laughs> May 13th, 2022. We have got um, Alex Seeley, who actually is our engineer for this show, for the Boundless Show, so um, and has been on before. So welcome, Alex. Thank you, thank you. And his fantastic wife, Megan. Hey, Megan. Hello. All right. So you guys... this is pretty fun. And Megan also, she works, uh, focus on the family. And so this is kind of fun because we kind of knew you guys before you were married. And Alex even has talked on the show about, you know, being engaged yeah. and all the, you know, leading up to marriage itself. And of course, now, you know, that you're actually married, everything's just perfect. Um, of course. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, everything's so, perfect. So it's all good. So when you're not on the Boundless show, you guys actually have started a little podcast of your own, correct? Yes. Yeah, okay. we uh, have made a couple episodes about our relationship on a podcast called Roots. Okay, well, that's super fun. Um, and you both graduated from the same school, graduates of Liberty University. And where, okay, you guys met like in a small group right or yes. through school Correct. small group slash yes. okay. it was a church in our college town that okay. we both went to and there was a young adult group okay and, and that's where we met yep so the fun thing about this conversation today is we're actually going to talk about um really from your vantage point of being newly married folks some misconceptions around relationships and dating and marriage prep and kind of some of the lessons that you learned through the process even maybe a few lessons differentiating Mm -hmm. personality types, expectations, (laughs) how you now navigate, you know, oneness as being a married couple, but also being individuals in that. And we're going to have some fun doing that. So um, are you ready to just be grilled? We are ready. (laughs) Absolutely. (laughs) Okay. Well, this is awesome. We're going to talk through even a few myths. Um, You guys talked about this on your show. And again, um, their podcast is called Roots. And uh, you kind of were and it was fun. I'm very proud because I saw that on your show, you even referenced some boundless articles. That That's you were exactly right. <laughs> yeah, in our first so. episode about debunking, you know, misconceptions about dating and marriage, we took some of those misconceptions from an article that was on 
Boundless. Yeah, yeah. From one of our friends, Eric yep. Demeter, who uh, wrote that article, as well as a few other things that have been written there. Um, okay, so what, like, like, did you feel before when you were dating, even before you were dating each other, that people commonly have misconceptions? Or was this kind of like a surprise to you of like, oh, yeah, we were a little more, more twisted than we thought we would be heading into this and having those assumptions? Um, I would say it was more that I observed some of them in friends. I was never a huge, like, dater. I wasn't ever really very boy crazy. Mm -hmm. Um, But I did observe some patterns in some of my girlfriends that I think being removed from the situation, I was able to see it from a lens that they weren't always able to see it from. It came up so often that... I had some pretty solid thoughts on it whenever it came up. So. Okay. Yeah, before we started dating, I knew that, you know, other people had so many misconceptions about what dating and marriage was. Mm-hmm. And then in our dating relationship, I realized I had so many misconceptions about mm-hmm. what dating and marriage was. Mm-hmm. And I just, I don't know why, but it's like we as Christians form a theology of dating and marriage purely off of like stories we've heard. Mm-hmm. And that was my story. I don't want to like prescribe that to every Christian, mm-hmm. <laughs> but there's not a lot of Bible verses pertaining to some of the misconceptions that I truly believed that just came from, you know, pastors telling stories. My friends love like stories that mm-hmm. they would tell. Mm-hmm. I would form these promises that God never made and then act on those as if they were promised mm-hmm. in scripture, which they never were. Yeah. So, okay. So take a good look at each other and tell me, is this the person you thought you would marry or did you surprise yourself? Like what, how did you guys meet? Was there immediate attraction? Was this like a little bit of a a back and forth, a two steps forward, one step back? What, I mean, what were your preconceptions before you ever started dating versus Mm -hmm. the reality of how you ended up together? Mm-hmm. Megan, please. I want to give I, I will, you the front. Please tell us about how amazing so, Alex was from the get-go. Yeah. So what's funny about when I met Alex is I had dated a couple of guys, not a lot, or like gone on dates a few times. But I was always, until Alex, the person who was like homies with the boyfriend. Like mm. we were just like, we got along well. We would like have the same interests. Like I was never the romantic sweet girl. <laughs> and I was mm. never immediately like, boy, like, oh, I know it. I like him so much. Mm -hmm. Um, But what set Alex aside from that was that the first time we ever like sat down and talked, we talked until like curfew in his car after we saw a movie and I left and it was almost uncomfortable, but I was kind of like giddy a little of like, (laughs) oh, I kind of like that guy. And I was like, this is abnormal Mm because I've never really felt that with other guys so i think from that moment on i knew there was something at least different about him where i was like maybe this is what it actually means to like a person Mm -hmm. and you know what's funny is i had the complete opposite reaction where the first two people that i dated i liked them before we ever went on a first date Mm -hmm. i was like head over heels like oh they're amazing and then after we started dating i realized like oh they're like just a normal person Mm -hmm. with megan the first time we met i was like oh she's like really cute but like she's just like a normal person and then when we started dating that's when i like really fell for Mm -hmm. megan Mm -hmm. so it was completely the the opposite actually which is pretty funny okay which is interesting because it kind of gets to one of the first myths that you tackled um when you were talking about this on your show and and i think a lot of people do kind of uh, ascribe to this this idea that you know, God is just going to reveal this person to you. Like when you meet, you're going to, and I mean, this is like, some people say it's God. Some people just have watched a lot of rom-coms. Okay. Yeah. Cause I feel like this yeah. is how it plays out when you know, you know, and people will just say that. And then it's mm-hmm. going to be very obvious. You're going to maybe, you know, feel or see some fireworks, you know, feel that. So Megan, you're kind of saying, okay, well, there was a little bit of truth to that in this scenario, in that sense. And then, you know, Alex is maybe debunking that a little bit. But (laughs) how does this play out? Like, why do people assume that? And how do you feel they can get kind of caught up in that trap? And, you know, what does that look like to think differently about it? Hmm. Mm -hmm. I feel like every misconception has some root of truth or some Mm -hmm. seed that then this false idea comes from. And I think with this particular one, I think God's sovereignty is so expressed in scripture that we come to the assumption, like there is really like, even if I plan to do evil, God will use it for good. That's what we see in the story of Joseph. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I think what we add on to that is that God will send me a 
beam of light from heaven when I meet my spouse. Mm-hmm. Because what could be worse than choosing the wrong spouse? It's mm-hmm. like, it's my choice. He better not let me get this wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that comes from, like I mentioned earlier, it comes from stories we hear. Mm-hmm. I remember for me, I really believed that that would happen. Mm-hmm. And that caused a lot of problems in our dating relationship because I never got the beam. Mm-hmm. I never got the confirmation. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I had heard pastors tell the story of like, yeah, when I met my wife for the first time, man, mm-hmm. immediately I knew. That mm-hmm. was the one. Yeah. And I didn't with Megan. Especially with that accent. That's <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, that's uh, what Michael yeah. W. Smith says. Yeah. Hello. Yeah. Like, and who doesn't look up at... He told, said that he saw his wife, didn't even talk to her, and then called his mom, like, on a pay phone and was like, I just met the woman I'm going to marry. And yeah. I'm like, yeah. that is very unhelpful for mm-hmm. a lot yeah. of people. So, And I and it's attractive. Mm-hmm. We want that story because it's exciting. It's so romantic. Mm-hmm. But I never experienced that with Megan. Instead, what it came down to was... Am I willing to commit to this person forever? Am I willing to make that choice? And somehow in the field of God's sovereignty and my choice, I chose to give my life to Megan. And I just decided, like, I want to be with her. Mm -hmm. And I didn't need that beam of, like, light from heaven. And in a way that makes that commitment more significant because Mm -hmm. I didn't get an external confirmation. It Mm -hmm. was a choice. Mm -hmm. And my choice ensured that she would be the one rather than someone telling me that's the one you should choose her. Yeah, because it's almost like you need to... Otherwise, you're going to look for every single thing has to be a confirmation. And Mm -hmm. the minute you stop getting confirmations like, oh, well, why'd we have this fight? That's Mm -hmm. not good. Or why'd we blah, blah, blah. Or, I mean, Megan, you might say... I mean, of course, you know, not with Alex, of course, but, you know, no, in this situation where you kind of had that initial giddiness, mm-hmm. well, I'm sure every interaction with him since then and since marriage hasn't been total giddiness. Yeah, so definitely not. <laughs> you should tell me if that's the case <laughs> yeah. right now. No, not exactly. at all. He really wants to hear that. <laughs> yeah. No, I would say even though when I did first meet Alex, there was a sense of giddiness, my brain didn't automatically go to this is my husband Mm -hmm. like it was never to that degree it was just Mm -hmm. like oh i do really like this guy and i'm interested in getting to know him Mm -hmm. and i'm excited by that thought because i've never been the person to think about marriage i never dreamed about my wedding day so my brain just didn't go there but i did see it a lot in alex and it is true that the big god stories which are great and they do happen but they are just the abnormality i believe Mm -hmm. they get tossed around so much because they are exciting and they are this cool way that God moved that it becomes this either expectation or this hope that we Mm -hmm. have a similar story. Mm -hmm. Um, And I just think that's unwise to assume that the Lord will speak to us all in the exact same way, especially when it's the big exciting ways, because a lot of times more commonly the Lord speaks in more subtle ways or through other people, you know, just more common ways. So just to expect that is possibly setting yourself up for failure in in what the lord can do and will do in your life yeah because it's just not a promise in scripture it's just not promised for us yeah so uh, okay so another myth i want to tread into is something where i feel like in our culture and especially say now a christian reaction to the culture in terms of um we will say for example the culture tells us that we have to experiment sexually in order to find our correct compatible sexual partner. Okay, so Christians will easily just say like, no, we know what the Bible says, whatever. But where Christians kind of internalize this is in the whole, well, okay, don't do that. But you definitely need to date a bunch of people to make sure that you have weeded out the people that you're incompatible with, the people who, you know, whatever, who maybe you have to share certain giftings or have, you know, opposite giftings in order to, or you just need to have this quote unquote, it's like this nebulous experience of dating in order to make a correct choice. Why do you think that trips up so many people and in what way? I feel like it's just comes from this fear of getting marriage wrong, um, which is ultimately, one, just rooted in fear, which Mm -hmm. the Lord does not call us to act out of fear, and two, sets this very unhealthy weight and standard upon the person you're going to marry of, like, you need to be this ideal person and you need to tick every single box that I have in my brain. And there are certain areas where that's important, but for the most part, that's just not true. In reality, you know, if you find a believer... By baseline, you'll be good. Um, but yeah, I just think it comes from the self-seeking view of marriage of like, I want to make sure I have everything I want and everything that this person has to offer is something I enjoy, which is ultimately the opposite perspective that we should be going to. Of course, you should 
love your husband or your wife and you should enjoy their company. But it's not from this point of view of like, I'm trying to get out of marriage what I can. Mm -hmm. And so I think that's where it comes from of like making sure I know what I want. You know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I feel like the most important character attributes that you're, you need to look for in a spouse are the ones that you'll be able to see in public. I don't think you need to get behind a closed door, behind a, an intimacy, you know, level with a girlfriend or a boyfriend to finally see what's going to be important in your marriage. Mm-hmm. Being married to Megan for the last seven months, I know that the most consequential character attributes I could see from a distance. Mm-hmm. It's like her, her kindness, her patience, her, her love for the Lord. And so I think this particular misconception paints spouses as if there are these items from like a salad bar mm-hmm. where like, I just, I can't tell if I like this part of this person unless I try it, unless mm-hmm. I taste it, unless I take it for a test drive, you might mm-hmm. say. And first of all, I think that's pretty devaluing to the person is almost like you're, you're trying them out to see, okay, what do I like about you? What do I don't like about you? Mm-hmm. Um, so that I can find someone else better down the line. Mm-hmm. I think a better practice is to just come up with a list of essentials that you might have for mm-hmm. a spouse and then date until you find that. You don't need to find it in someone else and test it out mm-hmm. to know that that would make a good spouse because we have a lot of biblical evidence for what would make a good spouse mm-hmm. already. And you can see those attributes from a distance. You don't need to yeah. date the person. It's so interesting because um, I think a lot of times we look at, well, I need to see how this person treats me, which obviously, you know, that's mm-hmm. important. You want to be treated well. And a lot of people end up in bad, even abusive relationships. But it's pretty easy to treat someone that you're really into well. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> what you need to find out is how is this person treating the unlovable or a difficult family member That's or good. how are they mm-hmm. serving within their church? What are they doing yeah. to sacrifice and extend themselves including when no one else is watching. Now, not that you want to be weird and stalkerish and fault trail them places <laughs> to see, oh, what are they doing when no one's looking? But you can certainly, it's weird how we put so much import on this, even for job interviews of like, what do other people say about this person? What's their reputation, whatever? Well, we need to go about and find the people that are in this person's sphere and get the, you know, get the intel on them. What does that look like? How does yeah. this person show up in conflict? How do yeah. they show up in hardship? How do they, you know, I think that's a great, a great point. To yeah. That through. And I feel like pe- people do learn things about themselves and others and relationships through dating. I don't want to make mm-hmm. it sound like, well, you should just be single until you find the person that, you know, qualifies the best and then marry them. Easy peasy. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, part of this misconception is true. You do find things about yourself and the way you behave in a relationship. You find things about uh, your potential spouse someday that you then desire after being in a relationship. Mm-hmm. That doesn't mean it gives you license to just test drive mm-hmm. until you like, it's it's not like the more people you date, the better idea mm-hmm. you'll get of a spouse. It's just not that way. Yeah, yeah. I was going to agree. I think there are such, there's grains of truth in this, in that you can date someone and learn some things that you don't like about, you know, that person, some things that you discover are things you don't want in a marriage Mm -hmm. and you can leave that relationship. But I think the distinction is your mentality going into that relationship. If you went into it genuinely seeking to date them well and date them in a way that honors the Lord and see if this is something that could work out. And if so, I want to, you know, pursue that. But if I come to the conclusion that this is not what I thought it might be and leave, that's very different than being like, I'll see if he works. Maybe if not, it's no big deal. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think it really depends on what your motivation is going into that relationship. Mm -hmm. Okay. So kind of an opposite myth to this, which I want to touch on briefly is this idea that the idea around pickiness, like it's bad to be picky, which again, grain of truth, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, because we're talking about people when people put unrealistic lists or put parameters on people or expect someone to be a spiritual giant akin to, you know, a Charles Spurgeon and they're like mm-hmm. 22 and you're like, hey, wait, give me give me some time. <laughs> yeah. But at the same time, where would you say the myth on the flip side of pickiness comes into play? Yeah, I think that, man... I know so many Christians that are too picky Mm -hmm. when searching for a spouse. I also know Christians that are, um, they don't have their standards high enough and they just don't want to be lonely. They're Mm -hmm. like, man, next relationship I can get into, I'm going to get into that. Mm -hmm. And it's such a thin line because, and the the reason I find it so hard to give advice about this particular misconception is because everyone's going to be different. Mm -hmm. There's going to be different 
personalities, different, you know, likes and dislikes that everyone's going to have. So it's impossible for me to say, like, these are the things you should look for. Apart from, they need to show evidence of being a disciple of Jesus. Mm -hmm. As soon as you have someone that shows evidence of being a disciple of Jesus, Mm -hmm. all of the other issues in their life, their, their likes, their dislikes, even some of their character attributes... It really becomes a game of not deciding whether or not they measure up, but mm-hmm. deciding to choose your battles. Mm-hmm. Do some introspective work, mm-hmm. find out where your strengths and weaknesses are, and try to find someone whose strengths match mm-hmm. your weaknesses and their mm-hmm. weaknesses match your strengths. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Find someone who's fairly different from you because everyone is sinful. Mm-hmm. Everyone's going to disappoint. I read an article online one time from Desiring God that basically laid out the fact that because everyone's sinful, you always marry the wrong person. Mm -hmm. And that wasn't crushing. That was really freeing (laughs) Mm -hmm. because then I could look at Megan and say like, well, if you're, if you're going to be as much of a wrong person for me as the next person, I just really like you. I want to be married to you and our strengths and weaknesses measure each other out well enough for me to justify committing my entire life to you. And since she showed signs of being a disciple of Jesus, that's really the only the only deciding factor of whether or not we can get married biblically. Yeah, because yeah. being a disciple of Christ and being a new creation means that you now have the Holy Spirit working in this person, and that is golden. Absolutely. I mean, that's like, you can work with that. <laughs> Absolutely. I always say, I mean, that evidence of that, as well as the person, I, I would also put on that someone who is humble and teachable. Mm-hmm. I mean, you've got yeah. someone who's under the influence of the spirit and is teachable. Yeah. That person is going to grow and you're going to be able to see change. And hopefully you're looking and pointing the finger at yourself yeah. as well in right. that framework. Yeah, Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I would just echo, that was a really great answer. Because um, there, there have been situations where I've seen friends have picky attributes that they were like i don't want to date a guy who wears jeans and flip-flops that's a true story (laughs) Mm -hmm. or like uh guys who like chew loudly like those nitpicky things Mm -hmm. are things that people can change Mm -hmm. those are not things that define what a person is um so i would agree like the standards that you need to hold of do not be unequally yoked show signs of repentance do they show signs of the fruit of the spirit like are they actively repenting when they do do wrong and are they showing signs that they're trying to be better and trying to seek the lord Mm -hmm. those are things that you want to look for Mm -hmm. um not that they're perfect but that when they do wrong they're seeking forgiveness and they're seeking change and growth and sanctification through it those Mm -hmm. are really important because that's gonna if you don't have that that's gonna cause a lot of conflict it's gonna be a miserable marriage um but there are situations where girls will have like their list of 30 things. Mm-hmm. And I do know. I had 50. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I had a friend who did make that list and her husband did check every one. Praise the Lord. Mm-hmm. But in no way would I say, would I advise someone to go yeah. into it expecting that. There are things about Alex that I'm like, aren't great, but I love the person he wow. is. <laughs> no, on no, 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 a, no, on a practical level, no, you know? But I know that he loves me and he loves me well and he seeks to love me the way the Lord wants me to be loved and sought Mm -hmm. after. And at the very bottom line, that is going to define our marriage a lot more than how he does the dishes or how Mm -hmm. he folds his clothing or the way he communicates sometimes. Those are all things that we're going to be growing in, whether we're married or we're not. Um, Be picky about the things that define the heart of a person Mm -hmm. and not the way they do things. Yeah, that's that's good. Yeah. Okay, so to address the um, last myth in the interest of time, because you guys talk about the myth of maturity, it's interesting because the average marrying age now is around 30, because I think this myth has taken hold in the sense of, well, I need to have this, this, this in place before I can get married, or I need to see this, this, this in this person before I can get married, or if this person is just mature enough, then they will be good marriage material and just the expectation around that of like, or or the converse of that is like, well, let's just get married because somehow that's going to magically make us mature, you know? Mm-hmm. So I think that I think that can be a huge myth. So feel free to comment briefly on that. But I also want to ask the question that might illustrate this. And I love asking this of married couples when they come on the show. What would you say now that you've been married seven months, what in marriage has been your biggest disappointment so far? Clearly, Megan has one because she said there are things <laughs> about Alex that, you know, are not great. OK, mm-hmm. whatever. We know that. That's on uh, on audio now. Mm-hmm. Um, what's been a disappointment and what has been your biggest pleasant surprise about marriage? 
Yeah, just to briefly comment on the maturity thing, nowhere in scripture do we see that there's a parallel relationship between maturity and marriage. Mm -hmm. Marriage is something that happens. Mm -hmm. And I do think, and I want to say, like, for all the married couples out there, if you understand what marriage truly is, biblically is, it does take maturity to make that decision, to lie, to lay your life down Mm -hmm. for another person and promise to do that forever. Mm -hmm. That being said, I know a lot of couples that are you know, immature mm-hmm. in, um, as far as like spiritual maturity, which is looking like Jesus, mm-hmm. we're never going to look perfectly like Jesus. Mm-hmm. And, um, I think making a decision to get married, to get that extra maturity point mm-hmm. is going to leave everyone disappointed because it doesn't make you more mature. If anything, yeah. it, it kind of reveals how immature you really are. <laughs> mm-hmm. No, I'd agree with you on that for sure. <laughs> it, it's one thing my dad told me that I continually call back to is the fact that he said, When I asked him, hey, do you think I'm ready to get married when I was considering it? He said, no one's ever ready. Like, you're never going to be fully prepared for every issue that marriage is going to throw your way. There's no way you can do that. But what you need to have is an understanding, once again, of what marriage is and how it's important. If you understand the gravity and weight of that decision, then you can grow up and learn with this person and mature with them. And Mm -hmm. that's really beautiful. Yeah. And as far as like disappointment and pleasant surprise, Mm -hmm. my biggest disappointment or one that, um, that really comes to mind is I didn't realize how dependent I am on my spouse for my mood, Mm. for the way that I feel is in terms of like my identity, my meaning, my purpose. Being married has shown me that I am so clingy and so needy for Megan to affirm me because when she doesn't do it perfectly, I'm like crushed. And being married, I'm like, I don't like giving all my power to this person. Oh my gosh. Mm -hmm. So that's been a disappointment and I really need to grow in that, to be honest. Um, A pleasant surprise is working here at Focus, you know, I think it was eight months before we got married is when I got this job. I would work a lot in audio uh, with content that was made for hurting families, hurting married people, hurting parents. So I heard a, I heard a lot of content that painted marriage in kind of a scary light. It was a lot of content like when you find out your spouse is cheating on you, when you find out your spouse is like yeah. secretly doing Worst this and case that. scenarios. Yeah. Exactly. I was like, I started getting kind of like scared about marriage. I was like, is this, is this what it's going to be like? Mm. And being married, you know, the last, you know, seven, eight months, it's very pleasant. It's mm-hmm. a wonderful thing. Mm-hmm. And it's it's not as scary as a lot of people might think. It's it's really more good than bad. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, I would say the biggest disappointment for me, and it wasn't inherently surprising, but it was still a disappointment, was how marriage does not solve, like, loneliness mm-hmm. at all. Mm-hmm. Because though I'm so happy to be married, and I love Alex's companionship, I got married and then immediately moved across the country away from all my family, all my friends, all the places I had ever known. So the months following our marriage were great in regards to our marriage, but in regard to everything else in my life were really hard, like Mm -hmm. some of the hardest, loneliest Mm -hmm. times of my life, just because it was the only time I've been so separate from Mm -hmm. everything familiar and comfortable. And I think... If you were to go into marriage expecting like, oh, I'm ma- like I'm leaving everyone, but I'm going to be married, so it's going to be fine, mm. would be entirely false, mm-hmm. very unwise. There are many moments when, you know, as we know, your husband cannot satisfy you fully yeah. ever. So that was a disappointment. It was a bummer. Mm-hmm. You know, how nice it would it have been to because there be are lonely. losses. I mean, it's mm-hmm. a transition, and yeah. you do have losses. You know, even yeah. even singleness is a loss. Absolutely. I mean, there are a lot of ups. You know, positives mm-hmm. to to that. So yeah, yeah. definitely. Um, and then a pleasant surprise. Bring it in. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> um, and it's it's a pleasant surprise that is a little difficult sometimes. But how much, like, and how quickly you will learn the areas in yourself that you need to change. So like you you learn so much about yourself that like when you have friends, you're never being called out consistently. You, you know, when you're friends with people, you kind of learn their their irks and their quirks and you just live with them. And, mm-hmm. But then when you're married, they will call you out and be like, I would appreciate it if you don't talk to me like that. Or <laughs> you use this tone often and it conveys yeah. to me something that's not positive. So it's difficult, yeah. but I've learned so much more about myself being yeah. married that Though it was hard at times, looking back on it, it's been really, 
refreshing and eye-opening to be able to like know the areas that I need to be more intentional with in my growth Mm -hmm. of like being more patient. I'm very impatient and I didn't, Mm -hmm. I never told me that before. Mm -hmm. Um, You're not impatient with yourself. So yeah, exactly. Yeah. When you're by yourself, (laughs) your timeline is great. Um, So it's been, it's been nice to see how much more viscerally that sanctification Mm -hmm. is thrown on you. Mm -hmm. There's no option (laughs) to be better, but it's a really beautiful process, I think. Yeah. Yeah, Great thoughts, you guys. What a good conversation and such a great, practical application of what it really looks like even you know looking back to the other side of the aisle so to speak so yeah. thank you so much i think this will be encouraging to folks yeah, yeah thanks thank for, you having for having us, us. Well, you guys, I want to direct you to uh, the episode of their podcast that we were talking about. It's the Roots Podcast, episode 18, Debunking Popular Misconceptions About Dating and Marriage. And also the article that we referenced on the Boundless site, Busting 10 Christian Dating Myths um, by our friend Eric Demeter. So if you go to boundless.org, you can search for 778 and find those listed there. I will trust Jesus this power I will endure. Though my flesh may fail, I stand secure. I will trust in Jesus' power. Well, folks, we are almost finished with the show, with the exception of our inbox, which we often do as our, well, always do as our last segment. And we often invite one of our counselors here to answer the week's question. And this week we have Jenny Coffey. Hey, Jenny. Hi. Good to have you. Thank you. Okay. This is the last question of the year. Yes. So this is a good one. It's short and sweet, but we got to help this person head into the new year with some good advice here. She is simply asking, how do I stop thinking of every handsome guy that I see as possible marriage material? So you're going to set her up for 2023 I, yeah. with some thoughts here. I so just go for it. want some nice man to come scoop her up so she can, <laughs> she can not have focus to be on there other anymore. Things. <laughs> I know, right? That sounds exhausting. <laughs> there we go. Um, I think there's an element, too, of just kind of getting down to it does sound like she's very lonely like mm. or just very much desiring to be in that place of wanting marriage and isn't there yet. And so um, in a sense, when I hear that, it kind of makes me think of the idea of, you know, if I tell you to go out and look at how many, it used to be, I feel like I used to say like Beatles and nobody drives those anymore. Like I haven't seen a Volkswagen Beetle in like so long, you know what I mean? But like, if you're like, okay, what do you see out there? Find this car if you want to find a forerunner and you just see forerunners everywhere. Mm -hmm. And so it kind of just shows where her brain is at. And so what I hear in that is, I desperately desire to be married. And so there's a piece of it. I think there's a fine line between respecting or honoring, in a sense, beauty that we find both in our own gender and the opposite gender, but also not allowing it to become distracting. Mm -hmm. And so if it really is getting to the point where it's distracting, because it's hard to know from this question, is she distressed by it? Is it just frustrating? Where is she at? Mm -hmm. If it's really getting distracting to me, it might be like a question of, reevaluating priorities so that she can still be, it sounds cheesy, but it's like, how can she get into a place where she is the spouse somebody else is going to want versus Mm -hmm. looking for it elsewhere Mm -hmm. and being in a good place herself Mm -hmm. so that when the right guy comes along, she's ready for it. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting because it's almost like I sense that she is, you know, again, there you can look at a handsome guy and be like, oh, you know, hey, I just met him in small group or whatever. I mm-hmm. wonder if he's single. And then you get your information and you then have to choose what to do with that information. Right. But it's almost like it reminds me of the more extreme case of where people quote unquote, get to know people on social media, and then they build these relationships with them in their heads. And that's where I'm like, you know, kind of to your point of it doesn't, you know, it's not a big deal to notice someone. I mean, you got to have your eyes open and be looking around and be like, hey, is this person a potential? But you can't then build out a story and a false narrative around 
where is he? Is he, isn't he, is he single? What, mm-hmm. you know, what's the story? What can, how can I manipulate the situation? And so mm-hmm. it's kind of, like you said, almost recognizing the desire for marriage, which is a great thing, but then not letting it rule her year or exactly. rule her days to the point where she has to let a potential guy into the story and she has to let the Lord into the story. She exactly. can't control this entire narrative herself. Right. And that would be my concern is that what is she potentially trying to do to change herself to make herself more desirable, like in these moments, like, what is the narrative she's creating in her mind, either for this guy or for herself, Mm -hmm. and compromising herself potentially in the meantime, right, and trying to fit into some kind of a mold or some kind of a stereotype of Yeah, I think I think that's good. So yeah, so it is almost I, I mean, listener, if you're the one that wrote this question, I think what what Jenny is saying is that, you know, again, it doesn't it it's a great thing to want marriage and to feel like, hey, this could be for me. And also to acknowledge that there are potential people out there, um, potential guys who could be good fits for you to date and whatnot. But I've always found when I've counseled folks, and even in my, you know, my dating experience, go about your business, Mm -hmm. be about the things that God is calling you to do, and the things that you love and are your passions and the ways that you can serve the Lord and the ways that you can seek out um, growth and adventure and all that. And you're going to see there are other people in that sphere, too. And you just never know what will happen because God can control that, uh, that story for you. I think that's a good place to be. So Mm -hmm. awesome. Oh, well, thanks, Jenny. Thank you. Okay, folks, um, as I mentioned, man, this is the last show of the year. We want you to ring in the new year well and uh, maybe have a great experience heading into the new year. And of course, uh, stay tuned here to The Boundless Show and tell your friends. And in the meantime, I will see you around in 2023. This is Lisa Anderson for The Boundless Show. The Boundless Show is a production of Boundless.org. Focus on the family. Just like a warm fireplace when it's cold outside, the joy of the Christmas season gives comfort and draws us closer to loved ones. I'm John Fuller, and Focus on the Family is excited to let you know about our Christmas Stories podcast. Each episode brings heartwarming conversations to bring your family closer together and remind you of the hope we have in Jesus. You can enjoy that podcast at FocusOnTheFamily.com slash Christmas Stories. That's FocusOnTheFamily.com slash Christmas Stories.